We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal, recording after a Bears win on Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, the Bears' second home game in a row. Uh, we're able to win this one pretty handily, you said, and, and really it was a game where the Bears were in control on both sides of the ball, which um, has been very rare over the last two years, to say the least. But before we get into everything today, uh, how you doing today, man? I am doing well. You're right. It's crazy because wins are so hard to come by for this team. Like we're sitting here and we're recording this on October 24th. And the Bears last home win was September 25th, I believe, in 2022. Like the last time that this team actually won a home game. So it's crazy to think that it's basically been... 13 months since this team's won a game at home. And again, you know, you just kind of talk about the vibe in the locker room after that game. Everyone from Tyler Scott to Larry Borm, a lot of the players I spoke to, there was definitely a sense of relief, but also excitement that, hey, we finally won a game at home. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time coming. They've been close on a few of these matchups. I mean, that Obviously, they're the Vikings game last week and the Denver game earlier on in the season were two of those where they had a lot of chances to get to win. And, you know, it was interesting that they were able to pull this one off. I mean, not pull this one off because, I mean, they were in pretty much control of it all the way. And uh, a big storyline for the reason for that was the performance of Tyson Bajant getting his first start in the NFL, um, you know, filling in for Justin Fields, who's out for – uh, it sounds like he's going to be out for next week as well against the Chargers with that, you know, thumb injury. And Bajan had himself, you know, a, nothing spectacular in this game, but a pretty efficient game from the undrafted rookie. He finished 21 to 29, 162 yards. He had um, a touchdown pass in there, um, and 
Yeah, just overall didn't put the ball in harm's way. Didn't throw any interceptions. No turnover worthy play. Turnover worthy plays really. He only took one sack, um, which is has been pretty big for this offense in general under Justin Fields. So overall, Bajent, you know, I would say a, a pretty solid performance for given what was kind of expected out of him. What were your thoughts on the rookie and how he did? You're right. It's it's hard to sit here and kind of glorify Tyson Bajan because if we're going to be fully honest, like if he comes in and lights it up against the Chargers on Sunday night football, you're just going to have this kind of natural conversation start to occur about, hey, is Tyson Bajan or Justin Fields a better quarterback in Chicago? But the reality is very simple, is that number one, you look at what Matt Eberflew said, like this is Justin Fields' team whenever he decides to go ahead and return from the dislocated thumb. You look at Bajan, and he was pretty much everything I thought he would be in that game Sunday against the Raiders. Again, the limitations in terms of the big arm really went ahead and showed up. The limitations more so in terms of arm strength because he's just not a guy that you can establish this consistently dangerous vertical passing game with. You know, you can't ask him to take major deep shots down the field, which again, that lack of arm strength goes back to week six again in the Vikings game where he had the interception, it was overthrown, you know. I mean, I'm sorry, it was underthrown, and then the Vikings defender eventually picked it off. But the thing with Tyson is this, what you're getting and what you saw Sunday was this classic backup quarterback, right? He's incredibly smart. He knows the offense. He's going to make all the kind of short, quick, necessary throws that you need him to. Yes, there's going to be a play or two here and there, which, you know, he really has a massive, massive highlight that circulates around the internet. But then also what he proved is, hey, I need a really damn good running game to go ahead and win. I need a solid offensive line in front of me to go ahead and to stay clean in the pocket. And you just have to give him credit for the way that he kind of danced around, navigated in the pocket, stepped up when he felt the pressure. So again, you're getting a guy who has all the tools, traits, tangibles, as well as the mental makeup needed to be a solid NFL quarterback. But whether or not he can really be a guy that is a consistent starter, like that is just of question. I will say this because I know it's floating around there on social media. To me, the concerns about and really the comparisons I want to say about him basically being the next Brock Purdy and Brock Purdy 2.0, I mean, those are massively overblown to me. I don't think, no disrespect to Tyson, by the way, Tyson does not have that type of potential to be the next quote-unquote Brock Purdy. I mean, we know that Kyle Shanahan's got the most quarterback filing system in the NFL, but Bajan just does not have those intangibles that are going to take him from being a solid quarterback to a really good one and then one that you consistently win with because you're just always going to have to have a supporting cast around him that's clicking and firing on all cylinders for him to be at his best. Yeah, and, and they kind of put things in perspective from Bajan, who, again, I thought played a pretty solid game. Again, I mean, didn't really anything spectacular, like he said. Um, you know, the, the positive things for him was that he got the ball out quickly. Um, he, he generally did a good job of maneuvering the pocket and um, escaping when he needed to and making some plays on the move. Like that one play he made near the end of the first half where he extended the play and got the ball out to D.J. Moore, I think on like a third down. 
um, to really extend that drive and, and put them closer into range to, to have a Hail Mary shot. Um, that was a good play, but otherwise, I mean, Beijing was basically just a, you know, a lot of quick game, a lot of screens, a lot of stuff where he's dinking and dunking down the field. And again, to put that in perspective, his um, adjusted um, distance, you know, his, his a dot basically, or um, the, the depth of target basically for this game uh, looking at it here, according to PFF, it was 2.5. So 2.5 yards past the line of scrimmage that is historically low for, and you know, a depth per target. On, on every throw. So he he was the definition of a check down machine in this game. It was a lot of dinking and dunking and short stuff. He only had one throw past 15 yards. So like you said, he's not throwing the ball down the field. He's not making big time throws down the field. It's a lot of safe stuff. It's a lot of stuff where he's getting the ball out quick and keeping the offense on schedule. And in this type of game against the Raiders defense that has, you know, had some ups and downs this year, that can work with that game plan, I think. And certainly, you know, Getsy did a pretty good job of, of playing to Bayesian's strength. The run game, like you said, got going. Deontay Foreman was a beast on the ground. I mean, 16 carries for 89 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he was a bowling ball out there. Absolutely made things um, a lot easier and kept that offense, like, like you said, uh, like on schedule, which is uh, needed when you have a backup quarterback in the game. Um, you you got to be able to keep the, the you know, keep you ahead of the chains and not get into too many third and long second and long situations where he has to drop back and throw. And like I said before, there weren't many bad negative plays from him. It was just really efficient stuff. Only five and a half yards per attempt though. So it's not like he's, you know, being wildly efficient in the passing game overall. I mean, to me, this felt like a game where it was a perfect script for, a backup like Tyson Bajan to come in, you know, with the Raiders having a backup quarterback in there and they're not really doing anything on offense. And that just makes things a little bit easier for you um, for the bears. And they were able to do some things on offense to, to kind of get out ahead in this game. And ultimately it's just, there was nothing that the, the Raiders could do to kind of get back in, into this one. And, you know, long-term, what does this mean? I think it, I think it means that the bears have a nice, hopefully have a nice, long-term backup for them. I don't think they should be any delusions about Tyson Bagent being, you know, a long-term starter here, because like you said, like he just doesn't have the arm talent, I think, uh, to really last as an NFL starter. And that's not a knock against him. Like, I mean, to be a long-time NFL backup is a successful accomplishment in and of itself, especially for a division two guy, you know, you got to like the, the swagger that he plays with the, ch- the chip on his shoulder that he has, um, he definitely brings a little bit of a moxie to him that you kind of appreciate from your quarterback there. But I mean, look, all the conversation about this being Bajan's job, you know, if Justin Fields is healthy, like that's just ridiculous. And it's not like Justin Fields has played well or anything. I'm not saying that, you know, Justin Fields has been, you know, spectacular because certainly I think we're both at the point where Justin Fields probably just, isn't the long-term answer here, but in terms of like, who's the better quarterback that gives you the best chance to win? Like you still got to go with Justin if both are healthy. And you talk so much about the Raiders situation and who the Raiders are as a football team. That to me is a greater discussion point that needs to be had simply because here's the problem is the Matty Refluce Bears, the Matt Nagy Bears, the Mark Trustman Bears, the John Fox Bears, even in some cases you could argue the Lovey Smith Bears, 
this is a team that for the longest of time, they have established this reputation of, hey, we're going to be really bad, very mediocre, frustrating to watch against some of the top tier teams in the league. And then when it comes to the mediocre teams in the league, the teams that you know are going to be picking top 15 in the upcoming NFL draft, the teams that literally have no shot at winning, like we're going to go out and we're just going to look like an actual football team against them. And this is who the bears are as a team. It's like, this is a team that in week one made Jordan love look really good. And I understand people are going to say, yeah, well it's week one. It's week one. You had how many months to go and prepare for that game, right? Like four to five months. Then you look at, you know, week three, the Bears get smashed and just absolutely embarrassed by the Chiefs. You know, week four against Denver at home, you kind of throw that game away. Week six, right, against the Minnesota Vikings, you throw that game away. Week five, you somehow score, you know, 40 points, which is the most that they've scored ever as a team in the Matt Eberflus era against the Washington Commanders. And here you go and you hang up 30 against the – LA, I'm sorry, the Las Vegas Raiders. And so to me, it's just this is this is who the Bears are, and this is what they go ahead and do, right? They're good against the really bad, mediocre teams. Like this Raiders win, we obviously, it's nice to get, you know, another win in the column, in the left-hand column, the win column. But it's also just like, look, I'm not really impressed at all because quite frankly, like, where is this against the really good teams? You know, where is the offensive line allowing just one sack and zero, by the way, in the first half, okay, against some of the best in the NFL. Where is constantly feeding Deontay Foreman? They finally, and I wrote about this in my weekly open discussion post on Bear Report, by the way, they have finally figured out a formula for success, which is run the freaking football, get a couple turnovers, which this defense has looked pretty good, by the way, over the last few weeks. But it's just unfortunately you don't see that very often because the coaching staff will just completely flip the script week to week based on number one, the opponent, but then number two, the hope that what they were doing in weeks one and two, that clearly hasn't worked. They're hoping somehow now in week six, seven, and eight, that it's magically going to start to work. And it just isn't. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I don't know how long, how much of a long-term success this is going to have moving forward because, look, when they played the Vikings, who do have a pretty solid defense, it looks like this year, even though they're not the most talented, I mean, they looked like a team that just didn't have any answers. And and some of that was Justin Fields' struggles. 
But also, even when Tyson Bajan was in the game, it wasn't like they were an offensive juggernaut. They had some more success, but it wasn't it wasn't like they were, you know, the greatest show on turf or anything like that. Right. And yeah. So do they need to run the ball more? Yes. But there are going to be weeks where they're going to struggle to run the ball, even with Tevin Jenkins, you know, just, just destroying people in the run game, which is, you know, classic Tevin there. Uh, it's nice to get him back healthy, obviously. But yeah, I mean, is it sustainable? I don't know because look, their offense has been much better over the last four weeks um, overall. Um, look at the Broncos game, they put up 28, the commanders game, obviously, where they put up 40. And then this past game, I mean, you had to pick six. So it's really, they scored 23 as an offense, but the offense has done a much better job of moving the ball and, and being more efficient overall, um, compared to the first month of the season where it got pretty rocky at times, um, especially those, again, those weeks one and two and three, um, really rough stuff. But like you said, can they do this against the good defense? Because, look, you look at the Raiders, um, they they have overperformed, I think, a little bit on defense, but it's not like they're some great defense. I mean, that defense is Max Crosby and a bunch of guys, you know, and outside of that, it's really nothing. So, you know, they don't really have many impact guys. Again, they struggled against the Vikings. The Commanders, you know, for all the talent they have on that defensive line, that secondary has been a mess this season. They've had some struggles as well on that unit uh, under Jack Del Rio. And then we know about the Broncos defense. I mean, they, they have the worst defense in football, obviously. So it's, it's not a secret that the bears offense, I should say it's not coincidence that the bears offense and really this bears team looks better when they're playing some of the worst teams in, in, in the NFL here. You know, they're going to have more challenges coming up. The chargers are, despite their record, I think are a solid team. I mean, they're, they're the chargers. They they're always like this every single year. Um, the Saints are a solid team. They have a solid defense as well um, that should be able to cause this offense some troubles. You know, you got the Lions coming up soon. You know, you got some matchups against them. So it, it it's not like it's going to get much easier for this Bears offense. And do they have a long-term plan out here? I mean, really, it just comes down to do you trust Luke Getze? Do you trust this quarterback situation? I, I don't know. I, I I'm still not there. But uh, in terms of, like, I guess one more positive we can touch on before we move on here. Um, let's, let's talk about the other side of the ball because I, I don't think it should be understated, though, that despite the offense, you know, the offense has improved, but we do have some questions there still. I will say the defense has played much better over the last month or so. You know, it seems like after that Chiefs game, they've really started to solidify a little bit, even in the Broncos game where they, where they collapsed late in the second half. You know, there were some more positives in that game. But really from the commander's game on, the defense has been much better. And I think a lot of that has to do with this secondary finally getting healthy. Uh, when you look at Jalen Johnson back healthy, you know, Eddie Jackson's still out, but Kyler Gordon back in the slot. Like, this is the first time that we're seeing this secondary finally start to come together a little bit. And, you know, early returns on it are that this is looking like a pretty good unit here, even despite some of the other issues this defense has, especially in the front seven. I mean, we don't need to sit here and kind of waste time on the front seven because, again, let's be real, the front seven has just really underwhelmed. When we sat here back in June and July and made some of our preseason predictions, I mean, it was without a doubt the question that what was the secondary going to look like? And this secondary, even though it did struggle early on in the year, has still come in. And for the most part, they have had some really solid games. You talk about the two interceptions that Jalen Johnson had. This is a defense that 
again, forced three total turnovers in week seven. Talk about just how much better rookie cornerback Tyreek Stevenson has gotten. And he is a player who, yes, he's going to get occasionally beat here and there, but you just see the game slowing down for him to the point where what's happening is he's kind of able to read and anticipate what's going to happen before it actually does. And then look at the back end. Eddie Jackson's been injured if I was a betting individual, I will tell you right now, Eddie Jackson is not going to be here next year considering how injured he is and just how injured he's been over the last basically three to four years. He's a guy that they're not going to pay, you know, $17 million to to kind of just sit on the bench and constantly be injured. And so it's to a point where, you know, what's going to happen, I think, is this, is that this is a team that they're going to be in the market for safety next offseason. Elijah Hicks as well as Jaquan Brisker have looked pretty solid, but you still want to see more out of the back end of that defense. And then Kyler Gordon, a guy who, again, was out with the broken hand, has kind of come back, really got his first real game action since week one and week seven where he wasn't on a snap count. And let's just be fully honest. I mean, he looked really good, and he's just moving so much more fluid now this year in the games compared to anything last year. So his progression is beginning to become apparent. He's going to start to take off too. Yeah, and the Jalen Johnson uh, situation, like I do think he's a guy that you either should be trading him at the deadline or, you know, giving him that extension. And, you know, this came up on Bears Twitter a couple of days ago, but Mark Grody uh, basically put a tweet out there that Jalen Johnson said that uh, his representation is in contact with the Bears, essentially for getting a new contract, which was a complete, when I actually looked into the comments, it's basically this came from Jalen Johnson had, you know, he was on a 670 to score and basically they, they kept on pressing him and asking about his contract situation. I think it was a mischaracterization of what he said to say that, you know, that he's getting an extension done or anything remotely close. Like he basically danced around the question and said, well, look, you know, it's, it might be done. Uh, we still have the trade deadline coming up. So we'll see. Basically what he said was, you know, we'll see what happens, which, you know, is basically what he's been saying all year long. It's not like it's anything new. Like, are they, is it maybe encouraging that there's his agents and the Bears front office are maybe talking more um, recently about, you know, his contract and whatnot? Maybe, but I doubt anything gets done. I think, you know, this front office has reservations about his long-term health and whether he's a guy that can stay healthy over the course of a season. Now, clearly when he's on the field, like he is awesome, especially this year, he's had his best season by far. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a matter with health with, with Jalen always has been the case, but when he's on the field, he's, he's a really big part of this secondary and he's really the guy that makes this thing go, even though they do have some other talent here, like Tyreek Stevenson, you know, he's had his ups and downs as a rookie, which you expect Kyler Gordon, you know, he hasn't really made many plays since he's been back, but I mean, you can clearly tell that this secondary is a little bit better when he's in there as well, you know, to have that presence in the, in the, uh, in the slot. And Brisker, I mean, he's what he is. I mean, he's a nice box safety. He's made he's played better the last few weeks, I will say, as they've got more talent back in the secondary. But I mean, I don't know. He's he's played all right this year as a second year player. Um, like you said, the, the secondary, uh, they do need to get that second safety situation figured out because Eddie Jackson, if he can't be healthy, I mean, you know, they just don't really have a ton of depth back there, which has been exposed 
um, at parts this season. But overall, I'd say that, you know, Eberflus, to his credit, since he's taken over the play calling at defensive coordinator, he does have this unit playing better. They are getting more aggressive with their blitzing. They are doing more to kind of mix up their coverages a little bit and make things a little bit difficult for the quarterback. Now, whether this is a good defense now or not, I I don't know. I don't think so. They haven't really played many good offenses recently. Again, they took advantage of a Raiders offense that had Brian Hoyer starting um, in this game. They have a bad offensive line. Like, I get they have Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers, which are good weapons to have. But, I mean, this isn't like some world-beating offense. And this offense for the Raiders has struggled this year as well. So you got to keep that in mind. Have they played better? Yes, they have shown some signs of turning the corner a little bit on that on that unit. Um, but they're going to have a bigger trust against the Chargers, which we'll be talking about at the end of this podcast. But for now, though, the Bears, you know, they moved to two and five on the season. So getting back into the win column, um, that kind of gets us to the draft conversation here and how this affects the Bears draft position, because, you know, there were this was kind of the week of the one win team in the NFL. You had some one win teams out there that really, really stepped it up this week. Like you had the Giants being the Washington Commanders and moving to two and five. The, uh, the, the New England Patriots upset the Buffalo Bills and go to two and five. And, you know, with all these wins, the Broncos being the Green Bay Packers, obviously, and going to two and five, which was a very nice win for the Broncos there. Um, but with that said, because of all of this, the Bears have now dropped in the draft order from two to three with their own pick. They still have the number one overall pick from the Carolina Panthers. But if the draft were to happen today, the Bears would have the first and third overall pick in the, in the NFL draft. The Arizona Cardinals now jumped them after losing their game against, um, I believe, the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday. So with that said, that brings up the question about uh, the Bears. What should they be doing with that third pick if they end up staying there? Because I think a lot of the conversation is going to be between uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and picking one of these top tackle prospects when we look at Olu Fashanu and Joe Alt. So when we look at things as they stand today, you say, and that's we're a long ways out, but let's get into the conversation. You're like, this is Jamar Chase versus Panay Sewell all over again. Uh, at the moment, where do you stand on that conversation? I mean, it is so tough for me to sit here and to truly pick one over the other because ultimately – both of these guys kind of have their advantages. Now, let's be honest about something first and foremost. The Bears have two first-round picks, but one of those two first-round picks is going to be predicated on likely picking Justin Fields' successor. I say that simply because you're in a situation where it just is not realistic to fire this coaching staff at the end of the year, bring in another coaching staff, and then expect Justin magically to figure out in year four in his third offensive system in four seasons. So you go quarterback first overall, and then for me, it's you have to take Marvin Harrison Jr. And here's why. Because you can invest in your offensive line in free agency. You do have some young pieces like a Jenkins, a Darnell Wright. You have Nate Davis signed to a pretty lucrative contract extension. Braxton Jones, who... Again, I'm not the biggest fan of Braxton Jones as a player. Like, the guy is who he is, but he's proven that he can hold up. But having a complimentary duo of Marvin Harrison Jr. plus DJ Moore is just too good to pass up on because their skill sets literally complement each other to the point where you could get really versatile. And then whoever the next 
quarterback is for this team, he is ultimately walking into a situation where there is a pretty solid line in front of him because I like what Chris Morgan, the O-line coach, has done. And then you are going ahead and you are throwing it up to MHJ, who, by the way, maybe this is a team that just needs to have a rookie quarterback walk into an incredibly stable situation. I, You know, it's crazy because the handful of Penn State games that I've watched this year, let me just say Olu Fashanu, but also from Notre Dame, Joe Alt. They're two guys that are going to be phenomenal at this next level. But to me, I mean, the only way that you can justify passing up on Fashanu, or I'm sorry, passing up on Harrison Jr. in favor of Fashanu and Joe Alt is if you're truly convinced that either the tackles are going to be day one starters and you're truly convinced that you can get the same production year in and year out from DJ Moore and a couple other wide receivers than you would get from Marvin Harrison alone, Marvin Harrison Jr. alone. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, I mean, I think what also kind of helps with the Marvin Harrison argument here is that you already have two solid tackles, young tackles, on the roster already, and that's you know Darnell Wright, who has played well as a rookie so far. He's had his, had his ups and downs, obviously, but for a rookie, he's shown some really promising stuff. And then Braxton Jones, who, as much as Bears fans, it seems like wants to replace the guy. I mean, Braxton Jones has been a solid player going into you know in the second year of his career for a fifth round pick. So that definitely helps things. Well, I, I don't know if it helps is the right word, but it definitely. You know, changes the dynamic there a little bit because the Bears do have their tackle duo kind of figured out already. So you can make the argument that tackle isn't really needed. Like, would Fashanu and Joel Alt be upgrades over Braxton Jones at left tackle? Yes, probably. But the conversation is: is it enough of an upgrade to justify getting another dynamic, you know, number one caliber wide receiver into the building like Marvin Harrison is going to be from day one that he enters the NFL? And I truly believe that Marvin Harrison, when you look at a guy who at his size with the fluidity that he brings and the route running that he has and the ball skills that he has, I think he's a guy who's going to be a top 15 to top 20 wide receiver right out of the gate and be a number one, true number one game-changing receiver within the next year or two, basically. Within the first two or three years of his career, he's going to be one of those dudes. Um, right. Like he's going to be on, I don't know, quite like on the Justin Jefferson, Tyree Hill level, but he's going to be, you know, I, I think putting him up there with Jamar Chase, you know, is not a unrealistic outcome for him early on in his career. 
Um, so like you said, you pair that with a DJ Moore, who's already one of those number one type of guys, you're getting your rookie quarterback, whether it's Caleb Williams or Drake May, and I'm assuming that they are going to be drafting one of Caleb Williams or Drake May at this point, but you're getting one of those two guys, a truly elite situation, I think, to step into where you have two number one wide receivers to work with who are both young um, and can grow with you in the offense and be long-term pieces around your quarterback. You have two young tackles that can kind of protect him and, and keep him clean and upright. You have to figure out the interior, obviously, but you know, you have some solid pieces there to work with on the offensive line. Like, I think you're almost looking at a perfect situation for a young quarterback to come in and, to, and to develop because Marvin Harrison Jr. would be an upgrade over. And, and trust me, I do like Darnell Mooney quite a bit. I'm a Darnell Mooney fan, but Marvin Harrison Jr. is a day one upgrade over Darnell Mooney at that second wide receiver spot. And you get a third guy in there in free agency, and now this offense is really cooking where you don't have to rely on guys like Cole Komet as your third option or second option in the passing game. You have guys like Marvin Harrison, who's a dynamic weapon in his own right, uh, to throw the ball to. And that just elevates the ceiling of your offense so much more than I think a tackle prospect would. And we got to keep in mind, too, that Vishanu and Alt, while they're awesome prospects, you know, will those guys be upgrades in year one as much as they would be you know, over Rexon Jones as they would be a, a Marvin Harrison Jr., an upgrade over Darnell Mooney as wide receiver too. I think it's also something to consider because it does take these tackles a little bit longer to fully realize and, and uh, you know, figure it out. And if it's going to take them a couple of years to, you know, figure it out, why not give Braxton Jones extra opportunity to, you know, develop and see if he can be that guy for long term? Like, am I crazy for thinking that that could be the case? Or I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you have to give Braxton Jones every right to really go ahead and prove, hey, yes, I can absolutely be the guy because when he's been on the field, he has looked pretty solid. And again, Fashano and Alt have a much higher ceiling in the long run if you were to compare the both of them to Braxton Jones. You're getting projections where by year three, year four, year five, Fashano and all are likely all pro tackles. I don't know if you can actually say the same about Braxton Jones. Cause again, to me, the issue with Braxton Jones is he's a good run and pass protector, but a run blocker and pass protector, but he doesn't necessarily do one significantly better than the other. Right. And he is a bit slow in terms of his awareness. Sometimes as you look at all Fashano and, Go back and watch the Penn State versus Northwestern game. I mean, there were a handful of plays in the first half where Fashano just went ahead and took on the initial edge rusher and then quickly popped off and saw, oh, crap, there's another defensive player coming. Let me go ahead and pop that second guy too. So in terms of those things, I mean, Fashano and Joe Alt are head and shoulders above where Braxton Jones is at. I would even say that they're going to be above – or ahead of Braxton Jones going into their second years too, compared to where Jones is currently at in the second year, looking at the whole Marvin Harrison Jr. situation. I mean, you're right. You have DJ Moore under contract through the 2025 season. You have 
Marvin Harrison Jr. that you add to the mix. Again, Cole Komet was really limited this past week against the Raiders, and to be fully honest, that's because the Bears used him more as an inline U tight end than a traditional Y tight end slot, which, side note, you and I have been saying this for years and years and years. The guy's just not fit to be a legitimate Y in the NFL. He's more of a U. That's where he's always going to have his best games. So this offense, you add a dynamic threat like a Marvin Harrison Jr., who again compliments DJ Moore, you either bring back Darnell Mooney or you go ahead and you sign another guy in free agency. Now all of a sudden you're in a situation where because you have a really good running back in Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson as well as Deontay Foreman, and then let's just say in the event that they hire my guy Ben Johnson or Eric Bieniemy as head coach, now you are really building something on offense, and what you're building is basically stability around <laughs> – young rookie quarterback to be able to go ahead and just develop at his own pace because the bears have never had a young rookie quarterback in a situation as good as the one that the next guy is probably going to walk into where there's a good wide receiver there and there's a second really good wide receiver there and there is a good enough solid offensive line in place that is able to both run block but oh, I'm sorry, pass protect, but also run block. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, it's been uh, Yeah, I don't know if there's ever been a Bears quarterback that's had a stable situation um, like we're describing here with uh, with the Bears potentially. And like, yeah, right. Like I think the Bears offensive line would be good enough in that scenario because, look, I think Braxton Jones, at the very least, I think he's a league average starting left tackle, which is, you know, not something to sniff at. Like, again, Olu and Joel are upgrades over him probably long term. But, look, Braxton Jones is solid in his own right there. I think he's a he's going to be a good player for the Bears. I, I'm comfortable with him. And left tackle. Um, you bring in, you know, you have Tevin Jenkins and Nate Davis in the interior at left guard and right guard, I'm assuming, um, to be there. And look, Nate Davis, when he's been healthy this year, he's been pretty solid outside of week one. Um, and Tevin Jenkins has been a mauler out there when he's been back healthy. So uh, you feel good about your guard situation. And then Darnell Wright, I'm, I'm going to assume that he's going to take, you know, a big step forward in year two. Like we kind of all expect him to do that. So your offensive line, if you get a center that's like not Lucas Patrick or Wash Cody Whitehair, you know, or Dan Feeney, who's in here on this team for some reason, like if you get a legitimate center, like Connor Williams is going to be on the market as a top center in free agency, for instance, like you're looking at a good solid offensive line, in my opinion. And again, you combine that with the weapons that you'd have at your disposal here, I mean, am I crazy for thinking that's the best offense that this Bears team has built since, I mean, probably since the Tressman days at the least, you know, probably the best offense since then if they can get the quarterback right, which is saying a lot, but you're also putting your quarterback in a really good situation to develop there. And again, like I said, whether it's Caleb Williams or Drake May, 
they're going to be in an ideal spot here. You get something for Justin Fields, who, who I'm assuming you can get some trade value for him as well. Like you could turn this thing around very quickly with just those two selections right there. So yeah, I mean, to sum everything up, I think we both agree that you know Marvin Harrison at this point in time, if if you got Marvin Harrison available, that's the pick for you if you're the Bears. I just think look. You, you cannot understate the value that having two number one wide receivers have on your offense. We've seen it with the Bengals, um, with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, how having those two guys really elevate that offense around Joe Burrow. You can argue that to a, a lesser degree, I guess, with the Eagles, with A.J. Brown and, and uh, Devontae Smith. Um, and then look at the Dolphins. I mean, different different style because Terry Kill and, and Jalen Wilder are both um, – two of the fastest wide receivers in the NFL, most dynamic wide receivers in the NFL. But those two guys are, are kind of 1A, 1B. Well, not 1A, 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 1B, because Tyreek Hill is definitely the better the better player, the Jalen Waddell, different tier player. Um, but look, you have two dynamic options in that wide receiver position as well. I think a better comparison would be like the 49ers with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. Like those are two number one caliber wide receivers on the, on that team right now. And you look at how much that is doing to make Brock Purdy look like he's a good NFL quarterback and not just, you know, a decent quarterback out there, right? So, yeah, I think having those two number one guys makes everything around you easier. It makes the entire offense better. It makes your quarterback better. I think you just do that. You figure out the offensive line as you can go. And really with the offensive line, Look, there, there is a point with offensive line where there is a point of diminishing returns. And what I mean by that is, like, if you make – as long as your offensive line is good enough to a certain point, upgrading it past your po- that point doesn't necessarily upgrade your offense past that. You want to have a good enough on the offensive line to raise your offensive floor, but having a good offensive line isn't a ceiling raiser necessarily. The Eagles didn't become a great offense until they got – A.J. Brown in there be the number one wide receiver. They've always had a great elite offensive line, but they never went above and beyond until they figured out getting that number one wide receiver and getting another dynamic playmaker for Jalen Hurts, right? That's the mindset I think you got to have if you're the Bears here. So I think we're both on the same page. Marvin Harrison, that's the guy if he's available. But again, we have a long season ahead of us. We'll see if the Bears are in that position, but it's an exciting prospect to say, um, that they might be in that scenario to be having two high picks like that. But with that said, let's end this podcast here by touching on this Bears Chargers game coming up on Sunday. Uh, a prime time showdown here with, with the, that the Bears are getting here, which um, it's surprising the Bears didn't flex this game out of here, especially with Justin Fields injured. But I'm not in charge of the NFL TV schedule. It is what it is there. But Tyson Bajan's going to get his first start on a national stage or second start, but first on a national primetime stage, which should be an interesting storyline that I'm sure we're not going to totally not going to get um, a, a ton of a, a ton of talk about that on the broadcast. Probably um, I, I'm sure they're going to touch on his dad being a professional arm wrestle like 10 times from Chris Collinsworth on, on the, on the broadcast on Sunday, but <laughs> that, that is what it is. Uh, but when we're previewing, previewing this game here, you say, um, you know, what's your uh, what's your kind of takeaway or kind of what what are some of the things that you're looking for going into this matchup? 
there is a lot. You start with the obvious, which is how's Tyson Bajan going to perform when he's got former Bears pass rusher Khalil Mack and then Joey Bosa lining up across from him. And then you look at what the Chargers are as a team. I mean, this is a group where, yes, their record is probably the complete opposite of what it should be. But they have figured out a way to constantly put points up on the board. Now, what really concerns concerns me for this game is this: is forget the Bears' offense for a second. The question is, outside of Patrick Mahomes, have the Bears played a dynamic quarterback like Justin Herbert all year? A guy who, again, I don't even think is the issue for the Chargers. The answer is no, they haven't. And so can this secondary effectively against, you know, a Mike Williams, a Keenan Allen, against an Austin Eckler, can they effectively slow down what is against a Quentin Johnson? Can they effectively slow down what is a three to four headed monster? Can they go ahead and can they put the clamps on these guys and then really just come out and play this tough defensive battle to give the Bears a chance to go ahead and win this game because ultimately this is the type of game where it's not going to be won by the Bears offense, right? Like this is a Chargers team that again has had struggles against the Chiefs since Herbert's been in the league. But the real question is whether or not this defense can be competitive enough force a turnover to maybe even if you get lucky three and then just give the offense something to work with. Because quite frankly this, I think, will be the game that really cools down the Tyson Bajan hype train in the sense that people are going to realize, yeah, he's good, but maybe against a solid defense, he's not as good as everyone thinks he is. Another thing we got to factor in here, you said it's Khalil Mack's revenge game against the Bears. So he'll be facing the Bears for the first time since um, he got traded to the Chargers last offseason. So That'll be something that I'm definitely looking for, but I agree. I think, uh, you know, the Chargers don't have a great defense. Um, they they definitely have some issues there. But I think Brandon Staley, I have to trust that he's smart enough a defensive mind to be able to find a way to kind of game plan against this Bears offense and and make things a little bit tougher for Tyson Bajant. Um, again, like I said before, I think Khalil Mack is going to come out here with the chip on his shoulder in this game to prove that the Bears made a mistake trading him. And that could lead to some issues because you got Larry Borum starting at left tackle. And I give that that edge to Khalil Mack 10 times out of 10. Donald Wright still dealing with a shoulder injury, I believe. So him going up against Joey Bosa with that, basically with one arm, is not ideal. Like, I think he held up decently well against Max Crosby last week. But Max Crosby still, you know, he still pantsed him a couple of times in that game. It wasn't a perfect performance from Donald Wright, um, for sure in that one. So it's going to be a tough matchup for this offensive line, I think. And then, yeah, like I, on the other side of the ball, I I think Justin Herbert's going to have an advantage because he's going to have all day to throw against this Bears defense. And even though the secondary is playing better, I think he is going to be able to find, you know, some holes in this defense. You know, uh, Justin Herbert's just, I, I think he's just due for a big performance and that could be happening against this Bears defense that has struggled to stop and slow down, you know, elite quarterbacks so far when they played them this season. Um, You know, you look at what Patrick Mahomes did to this defense and the Chiefs haven't exactly had a great passing game so far this year, even with, you know, some of the talent they have. So um, yeah, I I think the Bears are kind of going to be unfortunately outmatched here on the road. I don't see, um, you know, the Tyson Bajant train, leading to uh, two straight victories, unfortunately, uh, which 
look, I mean, you could say that's a negative, I guess, because they've been losing. But, I mean, from a long-term perspective, does that hurt this team very much? You know, who, who's to say? But with that said, let's wrap it up here. You said give me your prediction for this game and your X factor. So prediction for this game is going to be that the Chargers end up beating the Bears 25-18. to 18. And then the X factor for this game for me is ultimately going to come down to what is that Bears front five, the offensive line, going to do against a really good Chargers front seven, right? If this is an old line that can't slow any of them down again, we don't know who's starting at left tackle. You'll hear more about that on Wednesday and Thursday. You also don't know who is starting at right tackle. Darnell Wright we know should start, but again, he's got the shoulder injury, so you don't know if he's going to be a hundred ten percent or not and so those are things that really go ahead and concern me so i'm going to say the bears ultimately end up losing this game which like you said if you lose this game i mean two even cares at this point there's like two-thirds of the fan base or really a third of the fan base that's looking forward to the nfl draft well it's a chargers game so we know it's going to come down to a last second drive whether it's justin herbert's leading the chargers to a win um, in the final minute of the game or uh, the Bears, you know, coming short in the final minute of the game. I think the Bears are going to fall short in this one, 24 to 20. Um, you know, the Chargers are going to find ways to charger it up and make it close because that's what the Chargers do. But I think the Chargers are just the better team. Um, you know, Justin Herbert, I think, is going to play well against this defense. I don't think this Bears defense has many answers for him in that offense with, you know, Kellen Moore has done a pretty solid job with that unit so far this year. Um, my X factor for this game, it's kind of uh, tough to say. I guess I'll go with Larry Bourne because he's going to be matched up against Khalil Mack for the most part. And if he can somehow hold up in that matchup, Khalil Mack's had a nice bounce back year um, so far this season. If he can somehow hold up a little bit, um, that could give the Bears a chance. But I'm not too optimistic about that. I think Khalil Mack could have a pretty big day against this Bears offense. Um, so my prediction, 24-24, Chargers with the win. Uh, with that said, that's going to do it for us here at the Picks for Polls podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe to us on all of your podcasting platforms, especially on Spotify. Make sure to give us a follow on social media as well. Uh, you can follow us at Picks for Polls on Twitter. You can follow the Bear Report on Twitter as well at Bear Report. You say, where can our listeners find your work and uh, find you on social media? Yeah, you guys can follow me on Bear or on social media at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report. I have like a couple posts and a couple articles dropping each week. Yep, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman25. You can find my work on the Bear Report as well. Make sure to check out my Tracking the Trenches series on the Bear Report, which should be coming out later this week. And until next time, Bears fans, uh, have yourself a great and safe weekend and bear down.